Hello and welcome to the Simply podcast, brought to you by Simply, your expert voice in internal communications. I'm Patrick Horbert, Head of Content. And I'm Aish Rajavelu, Content Executive. Patrick, who are we interviewing today? We're speaking with Ali Hemsley, Content Creator and Disability Advocate. We're going to talk about how her disability impacts her and what employers and communicators can do to create a more inclusive culture. We're also going to look at how the pandemic affected her and how she won a discrimination case against a former employer. Thanks, Pat. Let's get started. Ali, welcome to the Simply podcast. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, please? Yeah, of course. So I am Ali and for the past five years I have worked in social media. So for me, that's been doing a little bit of influencer work, working with brands to create social content. And then I've also had a few roles in marketing, sort of digital marketing, a little bit of press. So quite a varied background. Um, but for the past five years, it's been everything social and digital marketing. Yeah, thanks, Ali. Um, and obviously, um, you're a disability champion. Can you just explain your disability to us, please? Yeah, of course. So for me, it's been quite a journey. So when I was 17 to so 11 years ago, I was diagnosed with ME and fibromyalgia, which was following a virus. I just never recovered. And then since then, over the past two years, I was also diagnosed with structural hip problems. So I have hip dysplasia and femoroacetabular impingements, which basically means the top of my femurs aren't spherical like they should be um so they rub inside my hip joint and then at the beginning of this year i was also diagnosed with crohn's disease which is an inflammatory bowel disease oh that must be really tough the first thing that you mentioned ali uh, can you just explain it to, to me again and explain how it kind of affects your, your day to day yeah, so I have ME and fibromyalgia. So ME is basically chronic fatigue syndrome and then fibromyalgia is chronic widespread pain. So that has really changed for me over the course of the 11 years that I've had it. When I first had it, I probably had moderate to severe ME, which meant that I was predominantly housebound. I was bedbound for a good portion of the day. I was probably in bed between 14 and 20 hours a day. I struggled to walk without mobility aids. And for me, it just felt like my internal battery was completely drained. Any activity left me really tired, really in pain. And it was just this constant struggle of how do I do the things that I need to do? And for me at that point, that meant that I had to stop physically attending college because I just wasn't well enough to do so. And then over the years, that has changed a little bit. It has improved slightly, particularly over the past couple of years, especially where I've then had you know, hip surgery and treatment for Crohn's disease. That's all linked in with it. And for me now, what it means is that I'm in pain a lot of the time. But also I have to be really considerate about pacing my energy levels and just making sure that I know that I'm in my safe zone of exertion and I don't exceed that because that will cause a flare up. Of course. Um, and I just wanted to speak a little bit about your experience as well. Um, so I saw on your LinkedIn that you've partnered with uh, companies like Sky and Unilever around content. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about those campaigns, please? Yeah, of course. So I've done quite a few campaigns with Sky because I'm one of their long term partners. So that's been from introducing the launch of Sky Glass, which is their new streaming TV, to working on Sky Mobile campaigns, Sky Go campaigns. And the way that I work with brands is that I have my Instagram account, which has a following of about 25,000. And then brands will reach out to me 
they'll have a brief in mind we'll work on some content and then I'll share that with my followers and it's really exciting really fun and a great opportunity to be creative yeah, fantastic um and um and obviously you do you do talks as well um and I, I noticed from your LinkedIn you did one with Estee Lauder which is actually one of our members um within our community um and that was around um visible and non-visible disability obviously um very very pertinent to to internal communicators and human resources and uh, you know uh, DEI teams uh, within organisations around that one in particular around that talk what, what what were the discussions and you know what what was um, kind of the conversation emanating from the room? I think the biggest part of that conversation is just opening people's eyes to how many people go through things and the fact that you know there are so many non-visible disabilities that you just don't really know when you're talking to someone when you're working with someone what they're going through and the importance of just being considerate being empathetic being willing to listen I think is a really big thing and that discussion was so powerful we had so many messages afterwards but it also provided a platform for SA Lauder employees to be able to share their own experiences as well following that discussion I think it's a real conversation starter you know we've done the hard work we're putting ourselves out there and then it encourages other people to share their experiences too. Okay. Amazing um, that sounds really really impactful um, so another one of your campaigns can you just tell us about the take 10 to read campaign at the national literacy trust yeah of course so i worked for the national literacy trust as the campaigns manager for a project called connecting stories which was funded by arts council england and we had this take 10 read to take 10 to read campaign which was a predominantly digital campaign and it was centered around encouraging people whether children young people adults to take 10 minutes out of their day to read and that was on world mental health day and we really shared the benefits of reading on your mental health and just encouraged everyone to take 10 minutes so with that we had a hashtag and we got so many of our ambassadors and supporters to take part and share that we even had anthony horowitz leading the take 10 minutes to read for children across the uk so it was a really powerful moment just taking 10 minutes out of our day on World Mental Health Day to read, to enjoy it, to learn something new and to really think about the benefits. And hopefully that inspired lots of people to continue it on. You know, 10 minutes out of your day isn't a big thing, but it really can make such an impact. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea. I mean, we did similar. Kind of, I used to work at in public relations at Oxford University Press. And to be honest, um, I'm quite jealous because it sounds like quite a simple idea, but I can see that that would be really impactful. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, I, I think that's a really great initiative. Um, Ali, so you, I, I was looking at your um, your Instagram. I, I see that you, you recently won a case, I think, in March um, from a previous employer uh, for unfair dismissal. Um, are you okay to uh, explain to us um, what happened and uh, you know kind of the process because I'm assuming it was quite an ordeal just go going through all that as well? Yes definitely so what happened was in March 2020 so just literally I think it was two days before the official pandemic started I started a new role at a company who did natural oral care and I started a marketing role there I was subsequently promoted, even though we were all working from home full time. And then as we got into sort of the later part of summer, I was getting a lot of pressure to return to the workplace. Obviously, it was a very difficult time. We didn't really know how COVID affected health conditions. And when the sort of vaccine programme came out, I was classed as priority group six. So 
I knew that there was this potential risk. Obviously, as I said earlier, my chronic illnesses started from a virus. So I was very worried about how this could affect me. You know, it could knock me back to how I was when I was 17, you know, housebound, unable to do anything. So I was being really cautious and hadn't seen any risk assessment. So I didn't feel comfortable returning to the workplace, especially as it was against government guidance. And then just the week before the second lockdown, I received a phone call. I was then working as head of marketing and I received a phone call from someone inquiring about marketing role, which I didn't know that there was one. So obviously I was very confused. I looked up the role and my heart immediately sunk. I realized that it was essentially my role. It was very similar to it. So, and it transpired that the founder wasn't happy that I wasn't going back into the office. So what then happened was this kind of sham redundancy process where no one else was put up for redundancy. There wasn't really a proper process. Essentially, I was dismissed and told that it was redundancy. And I took it to ACAS and went through the employment tribunal process, which was so long. And I think that really shocked me at just how long it was. It took, I think, 18 months between, you know, making that first statement and actually going to tribunal. And now from what I'm seeing, that's actually quite short. Some people are waiting two, three years to go to tribunal, which obviously when you've lost your job and you're hoping to recoup those wages, it's really difficult. It puts people in such a hard financial situation. And then, so we went to tribunal in March this year and I had three claims. So they were harassment, direct disability discrimination and indirect disability discrimination. And the panel, which was two members and then the judge, they found that they couldn't give direct disability discrimination because they believed that they would have treated any employer the same, which obviously is a hard one because you want to win that, but equally that's really down to the company and their processes and their employment practice. But I succeeded my claim of discrimination arising from disability. So they found that the reason that they made me redundant quote unquote, or dismissed me was because I wasn't going back into work, which was because of my disability. And it was just, obviously it's a great confirmation that what I knew I was experiencing was right, but equally it was really heartbreaking as well, because, you know, you think that, you know, the world's really accepting, you know, they were a company that actively promoted their ethics and to then have that disconnect between what they're saying and what I thought they were and what I experienced was really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it must have been, yeah, really, really tough to kind of go through that and then sit through like the 18 months of waiting. That that must have been absolutely awful. Um, so, I mean, in terms of, I guess, what they could have done differently and any advice that you would give employers uh, who are looking to be better with their disability comms and who are looking to um, kind of embed values that they they project on the outside, what would you, um, yeah, I guess, what advice would you give? I think being really open to flexible working, obviously, especially at the time, we were all working from home, working remotely was this big thing. And it doesn't need to be a big deal, a big problem. It provides people the opportunity to get their work done in a way which works for them. 
And I think often we can have this misconception that working from home, oh, you're just lounging around, you know, you're doing the bare minimum. But actually for many people, it takes them out of an environment which could be detrimental to their work, you know, especially if you're neurodivergent. For me, with my chronic illnesses, you know, I might need more privacy. I might need to get changed to something more comfortable. I might need to take a rest break or even just not having the commute, you know, that can really positively impact my energy levels, which means that I'm more focused and ready to go. So I think there's a lot that we can take on board from the pandemic and we can take on this great thing that, look, we were all working from home and everything was okay. I think giving people that responsibility to manage their work the way that works best for them and their health is so important. And also, I just think if you are having difficulties with something, you know, be open, start a conversation, don't jump to the most drastic solution and making sure that you do have the employment practices and processes in place. For me, obviously, that meant that one of the parts of my tribunal was that I got an ACAS uplift because they didn't follow the processes that they should have. So I think making sure you have processes, you have opportunities for discussion, you know, if a grievance is raised, how how are you going to respond to that? When will you respond to that? What will the outcome be? And just being open and willing to have these conversations, to learn, to listen, and to ultimately make your workplace better. If your staff are happy, then they're going to do better work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, the next the next question is kind of a, a two-parter. It's around equity. Um, so, I mean, obviously that's a term that bands around, but in, in essence, it's giving people the tools to be able to, to perform at their best. Um, so how would you, um, what can employees, uh, sorry, employers offer, um, um, you know, fair and equitable processes, uh, basically first with hiring and secondly, uh, then in the workplace. So once they're employees, yeah, I think one of the biggest things with hiring that I've seen is making sure that you're doing that sort of active work to promote inclusion. So if you've got someone who has a disability, who is meeting all the requirements, invite them to interview. But I think also what I've seen online and some really great ideas is like providing the questions in advance. You know, it'll give people the time to reflect on their answers. I think so much of the hiring process and the interview process is based on the personal connection and how we feel. And if someone's got a disability, then they might struggle to sort of act in the way that you would expect them to act. You know, if someone's feeling tired, they might struggle to engage in a conversation when they haven't had time to prepare. They might, you know, one of the things I get is brain fog. So it means that my my brain can just switch off completely. I can forget exactly what I was going to say, all of the stats, anything that I've done. And I think having those questions in advance gives you an opportunity to just make a couple notes of things that you think you should bring up. And it makes it more inclusive. It makes this a safer space. You know, an interview is great, but that's not going to be how someone works in the real world. You know, someone's going to take time over their work. They're going to have an opportunity to reflect on it and come back to it. So I think doing that active work to make your process more inclusive is really important. And then I think once you have hired someone, 
really have that strong onboarding, let them know what the ethics of the company are, but also what you do to prove those ethics. So if you go, we're an inclusive employer, okay, what's the stats behind that? What's the support behind that? I think it's not enough just to hire someone, you have to make them feel included. You have to make sure their voice is heard and you have to be willing to listen to all these different experiences. You know, as a disabled woman, I can come to the table with something that you might not have thought about because of my experiences. And that doesn't mean that someone's right and someone's wrong. It just means you're bringing in this big melting pot of ideas and that's only going to benefit you. Yeah, Yeah, and I think um, it is just so important to make sure you have got that diversity of thought in there as well. In terms of the role that, you know, internal comms people uh, can play in order to kind of foster like a safe environment, Uh, What are your tips around that? I would say one of the biggest things I find is language, making sure you're using really inclusive language when you're speaking. You know, I've seen a lot of people who add pronouns to their emails. That's great. I love that so much. I think it's just is a conversation starter and it makes it really easy for people to then share how they're feeling, share their identity. But I think we can extend that further. You know, there's a lot of particularly within disability, there's a lot of words that we use which aren't appropriate and which do have this negative history in regards to disability. And I think being conscious of what we say and how we say it is really important. You know, making sure that those words that are offensive when you come from this background, that we don't use them and that we're considerate. I think that's really important. And then I think as well, just within internal comms, harnessing this amazing community, you you know, don't just use it as an opportunity to say what the employer wants to say, give employees an opportunity to share their experiences, to share their wins, and just highlight, take time to thank staff, take time to promote what you're doing that's good, I think is so important. Absolutely. Um, One final question for me, uh, Ali. Um, So I know that a lot of people who have a a hidden disability don't, uh, the majority of people don't disclose this with their employer uh, for fear of um, probably some of the things that you've gone through today, actually. Um, How, I mean, obviously it's a a process of wanting to to explain your hidden disability, but obviously if if you're aware of it, then you can cater to the needs of the individual. So how do you get a a workplace culture where that this is embraced um, so that people do feel uh, comfortable um, uh, talking about these things? I think it's a really, that's a really difficult question to answer. It's such a big question. I personally think that it doesn't have to be something, you know, that's out there for everyone to know. If you don't feel comfortable with that, But I think working within that hierarchy, making sure that the management that people can go to is there and is supportive equally with your HR. HR is so important. They can provide such a source of support. But if you've got a relationship with your manager that you can talk about how you're feeling, I think that's really helpful. But I think also within the culture, if you are very open about your processes, what you can offer, the benefits you offer, and really highlight them. You know, I'm seeing a lot of companies now who will have like a a phone line that people can call if they're going through some mental health situation that they need to discuss, but that's not promoted. And it's like, if you make that a real promotion, people will use it. And then people will also think, okay, they're supportive of this. So maybe I can speak to my manager about that. I think it's just really being open about what you do, what support you can provide and being willing to have those conversations 
and then I think as well for me I find that a lot of people yeah as you said don't want to share their disability because they're worried about that and the thing that I keep saying over and over again at the minute is as you said one you need to share it so you can get get those adjustments but also you need to share it for the legal protection if you have a disability and you have gone through an employment tribunal process one of the big things that you have to prove is a that you're disabled and b that your employer knew because they can't be it's unlikely to that they will find in your favor of discrimination if they didn't know about it so i think it's really important from an employee to take that legal responsibility take ownership of that and go okay i'm going to share this because it gives me protection but also to the employer to create this safe environment where people aren't doing it just for protection but they're doing it because they can access all this support you know make it a really positive thing you've shared this this is what we can do to help you with that absolutely um and i guess this is just like a personal curiosity question but do you know any um like companies that are doing disability comms really well or that are super inclusive oh that's such a great one i think it's really hard from an outsider perspective to look at that because i think there's so much of that internal comms that you miss out on but i will say that channel four are doing some amazing things in terms of diversity. They've just done this big handbook about how they're going to approach disability representation within TV. And I've seen as well that they have a lot of roles that are in the DEI space that are considerate of that. And I think having this open, you know, outside perspective of what you're doing, being really honest about what you're doing, I can only imagine that then that feeds back into the internal culture. So I would say they're doing really great things. And then just from my experiences as well, I've worked with Unilever a lot and obviously doing the panel at Estee Lauder. I can only presume from that panel that they're doing some great work behind the scenes that we don't see as much because, you know, if you're on a panel, you get that little insight and it just shows that they are being active. They're putting their money where their mouth is. They're having these conversations. You know, we had a really great turnout and I think that that's really good. Thank you very much. That was uh, really, really great. Um, thanks for sharing, uh, sharing all that with us.